We all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of other things when it comes to what we put in our bodies. But do you ever think about the flavor of what you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration in what we consume. Yet, there's more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor is memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is Fona. Welcome to Fona's Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. Today, we'll be talking to Jessica Lopez and Becca Genovese, two of Fona's flavorists. We'll be discussing their road to a flavorist position and their role as flavor creators. Hi, guys. Hi, Corey. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you both. Thanks for coming in. So what I'm going to do, guys, is I'm going to do our usual, have you introduce yourselves real quick. Just give us a little, you know, how you got here, who you are, and we'll go from there. So Jessica, why don't you start for us, please? Sure. So my name is Jessica Lopez. I am a flavorist at Fona. I've been here about 10 years, and I'm really excited to be here and to chat about what I do on a day-to-day. And how did you get here? It was something I actually didn't know about. So I, you know, in college, I wasn't aware that there were even flavorists around. And so... I learned about Fona because it was, you know, one of the best and brightest companies to work for. So I decided to come and check it out. And I started as an intern at Compounding Flavors and getting acquainted with the raw materials. And through that, I kind of acquired a passion for it and grew into uh, my role. So was your undergrad, what was that? Was so it? I was a bio major. Okay. Yep. And does biology fit well into the science of flavor? Um, I think it definitely has an element to it. For me, I think I do have an artistic background. So I think being a flavorist is a is a nice blend of both. So I think it was the perfect fit for me, something I really enjoy. Awesome. Thank you. Becca, how about you? What, what, what's your road to flavor science? Well, hi, I'm Becca Genovese. I'm also a certified flavorist. I work in the beverage group. I've also spent a number of years in the grain space too, um, where I worked on a lot of cereals and bars. But I, I've been with the company for 10 years. I actually started as a summer intern when I was in college. And once I graduated, I tried desperately to get a job at Fona and they they hired me. I started off as a technician, was part of the tra- flavorist in trainee program, and then worked my way into becoming a certified flavorist. And yeah, so that whole process, it's been 10 years now. So your degree also in some kind of science or biology or... I had a nutrition major, minored in chemistry. And like Jessica mentioned, it might not be exactly flavor chemistry, but it, it works. It definitely has an element, um, nutrition and having the chemistry background is really beneficial. I think it's definitely a good note for any of you know our younger listeners out there who you know don't really know what they want to do or what they you know are going to get to do. You know, just everything is an experience. Use what you know kind of thing. Absolutely. I had no idea about the flavor industry. So I am super happy to talk about it to anybody, especially students or younger adult, younger professionals who are trying to get into the industry to just expose them to what we do. Do you guys have a favorite part of the of the flavor creation process or flavor industry in itself? For me, I think the challenge behind it, I, I think it's exciting um, when we have flavors that maybe are different, that we have to do some more research behind. I think being able to taste, make iterations, and also just learning. I think that every day we learn something different. I think that for me is really important. I think, yeah, every day is absolutely something different. You don't run into the same flavor twice. You're always 
creating something new. Um, so it's exciting and challenging and keeps you on your toes. So we talked about your backgrounds. We talked a little about your education, but as everybody knows, you know, once you're done with your undergrad or your high school, whatever, there's always more. I mean, I've got to get certifications. When I left, you know, undergrad, I waited five years and then went back for my master's. I'm sure you guys have to do continuous education. I mean, flavor is always changing. Science is always changing. What's that about? I mean, what training do you need once you've accepted this kind of a position? So the path to becoming a flavorist requires a seven-year apprenticeship. So in that seven years, you are a flavorist in trainee and you are basically given a mentor and you are working under their guidance for these seven years. And you're basically getting to know flavor creation, what it takes to build a flavor, what our raw materials smell like, what they taste like, how to use them, how can you use them in certain profiles and really just build the foundations to flavor creation. So beyond flavor creation, we also need to know food and flavor regulations and legislation. So that's food laws. We need to know quality control, making sure that we create safe flavors. We work with our analytical team a lot. So making sure we know analytical instrumentation, how that works. And also what we do is in the lab and at smaller scale. So we need to also understand how to commercialize our product and what that's going to look like on the manufacturing side. At the end of the day, what we're creating are flavors that are going to go into food, beverages, healthcare, confections, and pet food, essentially. So in seven years, well, first off, you had a mentor. Was yes. your mentor a phone employee or? She was, Menzi Clark, shout out. <laughs> <laughs> and so Menzi guided you to become the flavorist you are. And what kind of what kind of tests do you have for to become this flavorist? Like I know it's, it's seven years and you know, no studying goes without some kind of test. Like, do you guys just stand around and like taste things and be like, oh, that's brownie? Or oh, that smells like, you know, kitty litter gym sock. So for testing while you're under a mentor, you for me personally, I also had a, a phone a mentor, um, Laura Partita. She was great in helping me really understand raw materials. We met weekly. So we would have weekly meetings where we would, she would give me a written test and some um, raw materials that I did not know. I would smell them and try to identify them. Doing this weekly, you go through a lot of raw materials. So we have about 4,200 different chemicals that we work with. Some are more common than others. So um, we you know, use them on a more day-to-day -day basis. Some are a little bit more, um, I guess, uh, not as common. <laughs> um, so, But regardless, we should be familiar with the majority of them. So we go through this process and then we do get to a point where at FONA, at least, we meet with the entire flavorist team. So it's me and about eight or nine other people and we just get questions one after another. So it's definitely a really good indication to see if you're ready to um, test with the Society of Flavor Chemists. Once you get the thumbs up, you're ready to test with the committee. So after five years, you test for your apprentice and you're given a written test. And then you also have an oral test. So they'll also ask you questions. Other members of the study of flavor chemists that maybe you've never met before, um, they'll ask you questions from their years of experience. And then you also have different raw materials that you have to smell and identify. So meeting weekly, meeting monthly with, you know, our team really prepares us for meeting with the society. I will add too, me and Jess both started off as technicians and a big part of our role as technicians and even in our earlier years as in the flavorist and training program is that we compounded a lot. So that's basically taking 
the formula, taking the recipe and making the flavor. So you're on the bench every day, all day, and you're really becoming familiar with those materials that Jess mentioned and how they work. And it's the basics to flavor creation, really. So if they start you with like a scent test, for example, I know like if you go to like a candle factory, you know, they always have those little jars of coffee hanging around, you know, that are in like Parmesan cheese shakers. How do you cleanse your palate, like your your nose palate, if that's a thing, in between like each smell? Does Is it actually like, do you use coffee or do you just kind of step away? Like, how do you differentiate in between and, and make it so you're getting a clean, a clean sense each time? Well, I think there's definitely a max amount that you want to stay around. Um, I would say like maybe five to 10 materials max that you want to try and evaluate at one time. I definitely think stepping away is really important. Um, You can, you know, smell those materials over a span of maybe a half hour, an hour. Sometimes I think smelling into your arm. I've seen people do that kind of like cleanse your nose. As far as your palate, I mean, we have crackers, we have chocolate, um, those types of things that we can taste in between tastings if we do have a lot of tastings at once. You have chocolate? (laughs) We have plenty, yes. (laughs) So let's talk about your process. I mean, I know when you guys come in in the morning and you turn on your computers and then they don't work and then you call me. No, that doesn't happen. Um, So when you guys come in in the morning, you know, how do you how do you start your day? Like what is, when I come in, the first thing I do is check email, which I'm sure most of you do. But outside of that mundane task, what do you start with, Becca? So in an ideal situation, you would start off with your tastings for the day. So you have a very clean palate in the morning. So it's important that you can do your tastings or as many as possible at that time. It also gives you space to then create later in the day if you have to make tweaks or modifications to a flavor. If it's not exactly what you were expecting, it might not meet customer expectations. You can modify them during the day. So that's kind of ideal situation. That's not always the case as things happen in a day. Where do those tastings come from? What is the reason for them? So we want to validate that what we're making is actually going to taste good and meet our customer expectations. So it's not just me tasting. Um, our food scientists will put our flavors into an application. Maybe it'll be in the customer base and we will taste as a group, make sure that it is good quality, it tastes right, and then come to a collective decision on whether modifications need to be made or whether it is acceptable to show to our customer. Do you guys like sit around like a table? Like In my head, this is what I'm picturing. You guys are all around a table at some point in time and you're just kind of being like, you're just saying to one another, did you taste this? Yes, I tasted that. And then using all your descriptors all at once. Is, is that what it's like? Nailed it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we'll throw in our uh, flavor compounds too. You get ethylbutyrate, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think um, just to add on to what Becca said, um, definitely we come together as a group. We collaborate a ton. I think it's important to get other people's opinions, because it helps us in kind of getting next steps. Also, another thing is inspiration is a huge thing. I think sometimes it's nice just go in the lab and kind of smell and kind of get inspired into what kind of things we can use to help, I guess, change the flavor in the way we're looking for. So yeah, collaboration is big and and inspiration is also really important. Now, normally I save these kind of questions to the end because I like the quick fire answers, but what flavor or what smell inspires you? Hmm. (laughs) This is a tough one. I can start with this one. I have my answer. (laughs) And I think everybody in the lab is probably rolling their eyes if they're listening to this because I talk about it all the time. But cardamom, 
the smell of cardamom is so fascinating to me because like you mentioned in the intro, it's memory. So cardamom to me transports me back to sitting in my great grandma's kitchen in Michigan where she just baked a like nice fresh loaf of cardamom bread. And so it's not like the kitchen is just filled with this rich, sweet, fragrant, floral spice, but then like the sweet brown caramelic of the bread. And I think it's just fascinating that a smell can just do that. So I think, I mean, that's very (laughs) descriptive and kind of romanticizing flavors, but just like that one ingredient, I think is amazing that it can be so powerful. And also that it might bring out a memory in other people too, that it's not just me, that we might share this common history, really. You got anything for me? Um, Well, for me, my, I guess, inspiration is a little bit different. I guess one of my favorite essential oils, I would say is lavender. I don't have like a childhood experience that has like made me gravitate towards it, but it's been something that I've always just been drawn to as an adult and just things I feel like it inspires me with like different florals that I can maybe use in a, a flavor that I wouldn't expect to use it. Also, I get inspired from new different things that I haven't tried before that I want to learn about. So So we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, how you start your day and, you know, where you begin your your tastings and whatnot. Let's talk about like different projects that those tastings are concerned with. Can you can you walk me through like when you get a new project on your desk? How how does that work? Like what's the objective? What is the, you know, what's the time frame? What do you have to turn out at the end? It's like like a group project is what I see it as. Mm -hmm. Um, but please go if one of you wants to start. I, I can start. I think every project has a different objective. So a project can come in. um, It might just be a small modification to a flavor that a customer already has. Maybe they want a strawberry that's a little more bright versus cooked. So it's a quick modification that we'll work on with our knowledge. We know what kind of materials to add and what materials to take out to get that more bright strawberry that they might be looking for. There are projects that come in that are matches. So maybe a customer has a target out in the market that we can get in, we can evaluate using different analytical methods and go from there. We'll get the data and we'll kind of formulate from there. And then the third more, I guess one of my favorite types of projects is where it's something that, you know, we haven't tasted before, something new, something different. We're able to really use our creation, our artistic side and create something that is new and exciting. So deadlines are always different. So each customer has a different deadline and expectation. So we just make sure to communicate with the customer and make sure we're all on the same path. Another element to a project when working through a project is looking through customer requirements. Every customer is looking for something different, whether that be based on regulations or solubility, what kind of flavor form they're looking for. So that's definitely what we look at first. Also cost parameters, I think cost, flavor profile, any type of regulations that we need to adhere to, those are the big ones and understanding what the end application is going to be. And also if there's going to be any kind of functional ingredients that might give any kind of off notes, um, that's always helpful to know as well so that we can make our flavors appropriately. So you take this information that the customers give you. And when you guys talk, it's like almost like listening to food poetry because I can tell all the descriptor training you've had. I can tell the different words you use like that. I don't use in normal conversation. You know, if somebody's like, you know, what does this pretzel taste to you? I'd be like salty. And that would be it. 
But when you guys describe it, you'd be like, oh, it's a Bavarian blah, blah, blah with some, you know, pink salt from the ocean, like whatever. Do you help your customers with those words? Like, do you, if they come into you and say, you know, something really super simple, like I would do, you know, is it your responsibility to say, well, do you taste this or do you see this? Like, how do you coach them? That was another thing I was going to add that's super important is making sure that we're speaking the same language because there are some times where we get revisions that um, maybe we don't taste what the customer is tasting. So it's important to have that communication, the calls, the emails, whatever we need to do to kind of further clarify what they're looking for and just kind of making sure that, you know, what they think as needing more bright, juicy is the same thing that we're thinking. And sometimes those things require a little bit more communication. So that's something that we make sure to keep our lines of communication open and maybe even more more than usual to make sure we're on the same page. Sometimes what we'll do too is ask them to point out a market product that they like or that they want to try to emulate so that we can also grab that, taste that too, and understand what they're looking for then. Yeah. In the computer world, we call it a stare and compare. Because <laughs> oftentimes when I can't match settings, I'll just be like, oh, well, this is working here, but it's not working there. Yeah, absolutely. So so you use the existing market in order to help them better describe what they want. Yes. And the more they can be descriptive of what type of profile they're looking for, the better. That's always very helpful and cuts back on project time. Now, you mentioned earlier that you guys have these like signature, I don't want to say you don't have signature flavors, but you have signature things that you like to work with or that you like to do. So if I'm looking for you know, a a popcorn, I know I can talk to Paul. Or if I'm doing some sort of beverage or if I'm doing some sort of protein, do you guys have like, you must have strong points or strong suits that you just say, that's me, I like that. What's that, I mean, for you guys? For me, I can answer this right away. And I think (laughs) I've mentioned this already. I love working on more exotic profiles. I think it's so much fun. I love that I can be creative and research something that I've never tasted before and make a flavor that's like it. And I've worked on some pretty cool profiles that I think that I've never had before in real life and that have been pretty, I guess, well-received. So I think it's so exciting for me. In that same vein, I like innovation, flavors that are just new, exciting. Molly and Jenna talked about the approachable adventure. To me, that's that you can take a basic flavor and combine it with something a little more obscure or a little more, like Jess said, exotic. So those are projects I enjoy working on. Not saying that I don't enjoy working on vanillas and chocolates. I think those are actually very interesting as well. As many as we get, each one is different. And it's cool that you can make a vanilla, which you think should be a standard vanilla, so different every time. Now, I know both of you do a lot of traveling. I've seen you know, pictures. I've heard a few stories. So these, do these travels influence looking for adventure? Because usually that's what travel is. You're looking for some kind of adventure. So it seems like you're kind of bringing that over into your professional career from your personal life. Would that be a true statement? Yeah, I guess so. Without really consciously thinking about that, it's true. Yeah, the places I've been to, I think that there's always food stops along the way. Like I want to be able to try different cultures, cuisines, and learn about just what their flavors are and how can you translate that back to the work that we do in our lab too. Yeah. I don't know if it was the same for you guys, but when I was a kid, we didn't, you know, say the usual, oh, I'm going to Disney World or whatever. My father's a chef. So therefore I, we were always like, oh, I'm trying this restaurant and we're going to have escargot or not that that's super exotic, but it wasn't, (laughs) you know, like 10. But yeah, I, I 
definitely, you know, as we say, food is everywhere. Food is everything. It just, you know, brings it on home, especially when you work with it every day and it really influences your life and your business. Okay. So now we're going to move on to what's starting to become kind of a a weekly thing for us or a podcastly thing every time we do when somebody brings something for me to taste or smell. Uh, so you guys have got some setup for me here. What, what are we doing? What is this? So we're going to build a flavor. So we have a few of our raw materials that we're going to have you smell. You're going to tell us the wonderful descriptors you have for them. <laughs> and then we're going to we're going to see what flavor you think you just created. So we're going to do a backbone of a flavor and see what you think. All right. And this is kind of a brief snapshot of what we do on a day to day basis. So it'll give you a, an idea. I'm so psyched. You cannot tell right now, but I am super psyched. <laughs> Let's do this. So we're going to begin our test. What What is this called? Is it a sensory test, a smell test? This is a smell test. Okay. So what you guys can't see is I've got five little white strips of paper in front of me. And on each one of these is a different scent, correct? Correct. A different raw material. A yeah. different raw material. Okay. And so what's my goal here? What am I trying to do? So... This is a really cool demo that we like to do that kind of shows what we do on a day-to-day basis. It's obviously a very simple demo, but I think it gets the point across. So essentially, we're trying to build a flavor. So these are four different chemicals, five different chemicals that we're going to smell, and then we're going to put them together at the end and then kind of see what what notes you're picking up on. And we'll talk through each one. Okay, cool. So I'm starting on my right here, this first one? Yes, please. So this material is called vanillin. And is there a special way I should be sniffing this? or Because I know like with wine, you're supposed to like open your mouth and aerate and so on. We're not that fancy. <laughs> <laughs> so is there something that sticks out to you? So what I'm getting hit with first is this is, it's a vanilla scent, but it's not like your typical, like simple, it's like an extract. It's almost like if the difference between ice creams, if you were going to get like a vanilla bean ice cream and just a, a regular vanilla, this would be the vanilla bean. It's it's stronger to me, almost as if I was sniffing the bean itself. Like in my mind, I'm picturing the little black specks that you see in a vanilla bean ice cream because awesome. I'm also getting like a light caramel at the top when I first start on Like here. a sweetness, a brown sweet. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. see that, yeah. So that's that's how I would describe this. This would be something that I would either squeeze on top of a sundae or would be the actual like ingredient that I was eating. Before we go further, I'm in the market for a mentee. Do you want to be in the flavors and training <laughs> program? That was amazing descriptors. I'm so impressed. I, I appreciate that. I really do. Um, first off, do I have to know science? <laughs> second, I'll teach you. <laughs> second, do I have to know math? <laughs> I'll teach you. And I'm out. <laughs> so how do you guys describe this? This first one. I mean, I, I'm doing what the best I can with with this delicious set, but... I think that you described it phenomenally, honestly. I think you were right with the extract notes. There's brown, caramelic. It's a little what I call powdery. I don't, I don't have a better term for powdery. Jess, what about you? I would say, I mean, I think you did a great job at describing. I think it has hints of like clove, like a little spice to it as well. Mm. Um, I definitely get like the sweet, the brown, a little bit caramelic. I mean, obviously it's very representative of vanillin or vanilla, but I think this is a material that can be used in such a wide variety of flavors. Um, Level is so important when we're making flavors. So maybe this material at 5% in a flavor is going to be very vanilla forward. But if we use a lower level and maybe a strawberry, it could really help just bring the body together. 
So I would say level is so important when you're using any of these materials. And as I'm smelling this too, like my, my mind is screaming, eat this. Right. You know, that's how good it smells. It's so good. Um, Don't eat it. And yeah. based on the name, you can probably tell that this comes from vanilla beans, but it is found naturally in so many other plants and food products too. Chocolate, cocoa, it's in there. Yeah, I'm definitely getting the, the, like some flowers, but not like like towards the end and only in one nostril. Is that weird to say? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm no. serious though. That's what I'm getting. Like on my left side, I'm getting this end note of, of a flower. Uh, nothing like, you know, like a rose or a tulip, but definitely a floral something or other to me. But I, I No, I get it too. Honestly, it's almost smelling like, like jasmine like today, which today I say today because these smell so differently day by day and it's all very subjective. And I'm not sure if you're familiar behind the process of how vanillin is extracted. So basically it's a very long, tedious process that actually comes from the orchid and it's about a six to nine month process and the orchid has to be hand pollinated. It's a very specific time frame where it has to be hand pollinated and then um, the beans are laid out to dry. It's like a whole curing process and it's very expensive. And also we're very reliant on mother nature to make sure nothing, you know, the environment doesn't impact um, our ability to get this material. Great. Well, shall we move on to the next one? Absolutely. Cool. Now, should I put this like really far away from me so it doesn't affect my next? Yes, my next you test? can, but don't throw it out. We need okay. it for later. Okay. All right. So number two here. So this next one is methyl cinnamate. I do not like this. Why? I, it's not hitting me right. I, it's. Tell me why. So I'm getting uh, on this one. I'm getting kind of citrusy notes here, but the the initial like hit in the front of my nose is. I mean, I don't mean to break it up so much. I'm trying to actually get words to describe what I'm saying, other than like wrinkle my nose and just be like. Bleh. No, but I get that it does kind of fall like right there at the tip of your nose mm. when you're smelling, and it is strong. So this is a nice what we call like a seedy note that we can add to fruits. It helps to round out, like at really low levels too. It helps to round out a lot of fruits, um, more like the red berries. Do you get red berry at all? I'm getting, this may be strange, I'm getting kind of a rubber glove smell off of it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, like that was the first thing that hit my mind when I when I took the my initial smell was that, you know, this reminds me of, you know, a rubber glove for some reason. And then the citrus notes kicked in. So almost like like cleaning supplies would seems like it would use something like this. Okay. Interesting. No answer is wrong. I think everyone smells and interprets smelling and tasting differently. So all right. So that's the second one. The second one didn't really hit for me. Uh do you guys that's have anything okay. else to, to add about that? Like do you often smell things that you, I mean, obviously we all do, but I mean when you're in your flavorous role, are you often smelling things where you're just like, you know what, I don't know if I can handle this. I need to ask somebody else to help me. Yes. There are materials out there that I do not enjoy the smell of. There's one material in particular, dimethyl sulfide, that elicits a strong visceral reaction from me, but I wouldn't dream of not using it. It's wonderful in so many different flavors and profiles and can provide so much to a flavor. So we don't necessarily like the smell of things. I know Jess is nodding, nodding along. I know that she does not like for former captain. We know each other well. Um, yeah, for former captain is really, really good. Like Becca said, it does have its place. It's really good with coffees. It gives that nice roasted note that's essential for coffee flavors. It does hang around quite a bit after you're done using it. So I think that's where my 
apprehension lies. Also, I would say like triethylamines, uh, which are more like fishy, um, very concentrated fish notes. Are I could go without um, if I needed to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of strong smells, do you guys, I know our workplace tends to have a different smell to it depending on where you are in the building or sometimes it's all the same. And on those days, you know, do you ever guys just take a sniff and go, oh, that's mine? I th- I don't know if I say, oh, that's mine, but it's, it's more like, oh, I wonder if this is that project. Like this is sounding, this smells very familiar. I don't know that I would necessarily be able to pick it out that it's mine specifically. Yeah. Unless it's something that really strong. Like if there's a reaction that we worked on or, you know, that has been worked on, we're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That smells like me. Gotcha. That, yeah. All right. So why don't we move on to the third little strip of, of smell here, scent strip, if you will. This is one of my favorites. I love this material. So this is called cis 3 hexanol. It's also known as leaf alcohol. It smells, well, I'll let you. I was going to take this away, but go for it. This smells to me like it's not a fruit. It's not something you would eat. It, it basically smells like a plant. Like one, you know, almost like, you know, those milk pods that you used to, maybe you guys don't, haven't seen them, but the this plant grows and they grow little pods on them. And when you rip them off, the end uh, has a white liquid on it. And we call it a milkweed or milk plant. But, or either that or like, like the husk of a corn, of corn, of corn on the cob to me. Yeah. Like it's actually produced in like a variety of plants in small amounts. So it's super, it's grassy to me, like green grassy, like fresh cut grass. This is what this smells like. I just, I love it. It's so bright and fresh. And like you said, a corn husk. So I would use this for anything that's like not cooked. If you want like an underripe or not cooked note, you could add this to pretty much a variety of flavor profiles, especially fruits. It'd be really great. And keeping in mind that like, I have no flavor training at all. This is just, do you guys see this reaction? Like somebody's brain just kind of putting out answers? Because that's really what's happening here is like, again, I don't, I've never been through a flavor university. You know, I just know there's just something in me that says, that's what that is. Yeah. You know, do you, do you see that a lot when you guys are working? Yeah, I think it's hard with material. Like we are, we know these materials, so it's hard to have that first reaction to some of these. So it's always interesting to see what someone new thinks of it because corn husk, I've never heard that one for this. So that's interesting. And why did you guys choose these flavors or these, sorry, these scents? So for us, for the specific demo that we're doing, it's definitely a really good backbone for the flavor. So it, it'll give an idea as to the flavor that we're building. So once we get further along into the flavors, we'll have you put the blotters together and kind of, you'll see why. Cool. All right. So why don't we, uh, we'll go to our fourth here. I feel like I should put it like right up to the mic so you can hear me sniffing. <laughs> Do it. Um, I, I, and just so our, our listeners know, like I'm coming at this, like I, I got this little strip in my fist and I'm like sniffing it. These guys are so like graceful about it i mean it's almost like you know they're going to a party holding a fancy drink with their pinkies up so this fourth material is called strawberry fear known that is a very misleading name because that is not what i'm getting what do you get Mm. tell me i'm getting i'm definitely getting like coffee caramel coffee out of this one or a toffee if you will but that makes sense so fear knowns definitely have that character where they're cooked they can have caramelic notes there's toffee fear known you started with strawberry though didn't you Mm-hmm. What, so did that have any, does that have anything to do with this, this scent or is that just what it's called? No. So this is naturally found in strawberries, but, and you would be remiss to not add it to a strawberry because there is some fruitiness to it. You would definitely want to add this to a strawberry to give it some of those like cooked jammy mm-hmm. 
notes. And yeah. I think it brings like a nice candied, candied profile as well. Obviously, like I mentioned before about level, I think that's important. You don't want it too high because then you'll get that cooked note that maybe you don't want. Maybe you just want like a nice, sweet, sweet candy note that you could yeah. pop this right in. And I wasn't getting that strawberry or fruit smell until you guys started like describing it a little more. And like as I'm processing and thinking like I'm getting it towards the, the beginning and the tail end, but mm -hmm. the middle really overwhelms it, really gives me that, you know, toffee or candy scent. And it's sweet. Doesn't it taste sweet? Yeah. It smells sweet. It's it's so hard. To, those words intertwine so much when you're doing this. I mean, we've already, I've already made the mistake two or three times as we're doing this, you know, saying, you know, I want to, you know, this tastes like this. No, it doesn't. It smells like that. It's just so interesting to me of how easy it is to, to bring those two together. But it's all very connected and aroma plays such a vital role in taste. All right. So before we do this last one, I'm going to preface this by saying, Neither one of our guests is going to smell this because they quote unquote know what it smells like, which <laughs> indicates to me that I'm in trouble. So we, I've got a little jar here uh, and it says methyl thio, I can't read that. Butyrate. Methyl thiobutyrate is what you're going to be smelling. To all the flavors out there, they're <laughs> laughing right now. Um, they know what you're going through. Okay, because so. this is if this is terrible, I'm turning all of your access off. <laughs> So we made a very, um, so all of these cuts that we are making are about 10% dilutions. A couple of them are 1%. This one's at 0.01%. So it's it's very, very low. And you'll just see how impactful at that low of a level it is. Okay. So just dip this, right? Yep. You're probably going to love it. You I love mean, it, don't you? I don't know what you guys are talking about. This is delicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, this is, this is absolutely future. No, that's not true. Um, I'm about to compare this to the thing that I know the best. This smells like I've opened the diaper genie next to my child's changing station, a mixture of what she's left in there and the plastic bag. Um, that's maybe too much for this podcast. Stop me now if you're, if you're not happy with it, but that's exactly what I'm getting. Um, it's not awful. Mm -hmm. It's manageable. It's one of those things that if it, you know, if I were needing to be around it for a long time, I would have Vicks vapor rub under my nose really quick. I think Jess is very kind in doing a 0.01% dilution for you. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Any stronger. And I'm pretty sure I would be holding this at arm's length. Uh, do, you, do you think that, can you see a role, like how that would play in a strawberry flavor, that material? If, if was, you haven't noticed, we're building a strawberry flavor. <laughs> if I were to build, if I were trying to get this to be, say, what I would consider getting across the message of a fresh strawberry, something that was just picked, there are definitely earthy notes in this. Mm -hmm. There are definitely kind of dirt to it. I can get that. Even, I mean, maybe even a little fertilizer. I, I mean, that may not be something people want to think about when they're eating, but, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I wouldn't initially say, oh, I want my strawberry to smell like that. But I could see this being a small part of it, especially yeah. at 0.101%. Yeah, it's yeah. 100 ppm. So I think that, you know, sulfur compounds are so important when it comes to making something taste ripe. So at that, a very, very low level in a strawberry, it just creates this nice, bright, ripe strawberry. And it's so important. And when you go to the grocery store and you're smelling your container of strawberries to see, I don't know if I'm the only one who does this, but you want to make sure that you almost smell some of that, what I call like almost like a garbage note, because it just, it signifies that your strawberries are just really ripe and they're going to taste like really juicy and fresh. That's what I do for my pineapple. 
Yeah. I, I, I mean, the best way to tell if a pineapple is ready to cut is to smell it. So I'm looking for, you know, the sweet and your garbage notes, you know, absolutely for that. So you're not alone. So basically, all right, let's put this together. So you're going to take the four materials that we smelled before, the methyl thiobutyrate, and kind of hold it up a little bit closer to your nose. I think the methyl thiobutyrate, you can kind of leave a little bit farther back. And since you don't need it to be very intense, it's already intense. But if you kind of smell, it's it's a very generic backbone for a, a berry flavor. Maybe you're not getting strawberry right away. Maybe you're eating a different berry, but... No, I'm totally getting it. You get strawberry? I get, yeah, I get... I get strawberry and then I'm getting the other berries after the fact. This is like a Captain Crunch berry like in front of me. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah. Nice. And I'm kind of fanning it just to kind of fan them all together. I don't know if that's like the thing to do. But that's exactly what you do. Yeah. So this serves, like I mentioned, as a backbone. If we want to start to differentiate maybe into a raspberry, maybe into a cranberry, you know, different types of berries, then we can start adding materials that are more characterizing of those different berries. My brain is blown right now. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm holding like five little sticks in my hand and fanning my nose. And if somebody saw this from the outside, they'd be like, what are they doing in there? And I'd be like, it's a strawberry, man. Go away. I think what's cool too is that this is just five materials and we created something. I think the beauty behind what we do is that Jess might add 10 more materials to get her kind of strawberry. I might add a hundred more just to get my kind of strawberry. So there's just, there's creative differences and it's cool to see how each person approaches how to create one particular profile. Okay. So we're going to finish up our smell test here. We've made this incredible strawberry berry flavor, which I mean, who knew you could put garbage with awesomeness and get (laughs) strawberry, right? So, you know, I'm a consumer, I'm a customer. What's the point of this? How does this help you? We're ultimately trying to create a desired flavor profile for our customers that is 100% customizable. At the end of the day, we're a service company and we want to make sure that we're providing our customers with the best solution for their products. And I think to add on to that, I mean, we just want things to taste good. I mean, flavor is the number one things consumers look for. And I think that we can use flavor to um, in a wide variety of applications that maybe might have inherent off notes that we can kind of, you know, top note with our flavor and make it into a really great product. So you guys are here. You've finished your segment. You've earned the right to answer the quick fire questions. No. <laughs> uh, so you've heard them before. The first question is always, I mean, we know what your favorite scent is, cardamom. Yes. Is that also a favorite flavor that you pick out often or what's your favorite flavor? I think I'm supposed to say my favorite flavor is anything that wins. Yeah. That's a good answer. Let's go know? less corporate, more personal. <laughs> I feel like we already mentioned it, but combining two different flavors together, those projects are really fun to work on. So the approachable adventure that I mentioned earlier, those are always fun. We're taking something that's very common and mixing it with something more exotic. So Becca, a flavor that you don't like, something you won't eat. There's not much out there that I don't like or that I won't eat. This world fascinates me and there's nothing I don't like. What about a flavor that brings you good memories? Besides the cardamom? Besides the cardamom. Floral. I know Jess mentioned lavender. Like lavender, really, I love that. If you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing? Weird that you ask that. I always say that I would be a florist. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jess. What Uh, is a flavor that you like, that you love? 
So I think this kind of ties back into what I mentioned as my favorite types of projects to work on are the more exotic, different profiles that maybe I haven't tasted before. Um, So I'm going to answer this with one that is near and dear to me that I worked on really hard for a long time is alucama flavor. Um, It was something I worked on for quite a long time and I really grew to like the profile. And I would say that I, I would answer that as my favorite. And same follow-up question, something that you don't like, can't stand. There isn't really a flavor that sticks out to me as something that I don't like. I think I I always go to um, raspberries. I'm not a raspberry person. I know a lot of people like raspberries, but I think they're just too floral for me. I don't mind working on them, but if I am like picking out fruit to eat, it's not going to be a raspberry. So, Your Starbucks order? It is a dragon fruit. Is that recent? Yes. Okay, so every time you go to Starbucks, you get this dragon fruit. Nope, I just got it today. Okay, okay. So what's what's your go-to then? Um, I'm more of a black coffee kind of girl. Yep. If my coffee doesn't taste like ice cream, I'm not eating it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to stop by our podcast today. We really appreciate you coming out. So that's it for Flavor University podcast. I'm Corey Doucette. And I'd like to thank our special guests, Becca Genovese and Jessica Lopez. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, the flavor of Fona is the flavor of life. So go out and taste it.